Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Um, so we're having a, work, a workshop this morning on the ninth step, making amends. And, uh, and I'm just incredibly tickled because the three people who are going to be speaking this weekend and doing this workshop and the one this afternoon are three of my, I mean, very favorite people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love you all dearly. And uh, Steve did a great job last night. Bob's going to do a passable job. Yeah. Bob's going to do an adequate job this evening. And Sharon's going to knock it out of the park tomorrow morning. So, um, without any further ado, I'm going to bring these guys up. Each of them is going to talk on making amends for about 25 minutes, and then we can thank them at the end. Uh, and we'll start off with uh, Steve, because he said he wanted to go first. Uh, good morning. I'm Steve. I'm an alcoholic. In truth of fact, when I walked by John a moment ago and, and uh, to sit over here, I said, make one of them go first uh, 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 so I could prepare my notes. Uh, 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 and so uh, clearly uh, I would, should have left well enough alone and said nothing to John. It was uh, a great miscalculation to think that he would do anything to accommodate me. Uh, 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 Regardless, uh, 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 we will we will make do. Because typically, I, I don't like to go first because my approach is to listen to the other two and just try to re-say what they said, but say it better. And uh, 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 in this case, I might have to actually share from uh, my own experience, and uh, 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 which is much more sketchy than. Uh, uh, than what they might have, but we're we're here, you know, this morning as we're going to talk about uh, uh, talk about the amends, and and uh, so I kind of just want to touch on three or four things, uh, hopefully, sort of like you guys picked up last night uh, uh, in my story. That that uh, as I talk, I'm I'm very likely to make a, a left turn somewhere and and go a direction I never intended to, and and uh, we may or may not get back, and. Uh, uh, and sometimes that's divinely inspired, and uh, sometimes it is just self-indulgent, and uh, it is hard for me to know which sometimes. But uh, uh, the, the few things I hope to touch on are, are you know, what the, what's the purpose of the men? You know, really, why do we, why do we get to this? Uh, uh, that's one of those uh, steps when I got to AA and began to read ahead. I mean, there were a few things that, that I thought, you know, were this looks like a good plan, but uh, 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 the further I read, the less sense this program made to me, and uh, uh, particularly when I get to this immense part. And because uh, it's sort of like uh, my whole life has just been, been I'll do better. You know, just let's just. In fact, you hear it all the time. Where I hear it, and maybe you guys do too, is uh, you know, I'm I'm a sports guy, so I'm always watching you know the ESPN and all the different sports channels, and it's certainly not uncommon for the sports figures to to get in trouble in some form or fashion. And almost always, what they say in that next interview is. Uh, uh, is you know, well, we've dealt with that, and 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 uh, and we're looking ahead. We're going to move forward. And uh, they never want to talk about you're going to move forward. And, and certainly, we want to move forward. But in Alcoholics Anonymous, you tell me that the only really effective way I can move forward is if I first stand in front of 
what I've done if I first own it and, and do my best to repair the damage. Uh, that's what our book says we're trying to do. It, it, it lists a couple of things as the purpose, but it says we're trying to repair the damage from our past. And uh, uh, so we, we talk about the fact a lot, uh, we'll hear in AA, that, uh, that this, uh, a simple mumbling of an apology isn't enough. And I will tell you, my experience is that an apology alone isn't enough, but there have been times that an apology played an important role as part of the amends. And it's a different type of apology. You know, it's not the, it's not the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Get off my back. You know, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. It is a, a genuine internal recognition that I am sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I did this. I remember calling my mom, uh, uh, as you guys uh, heard last night, uh, there were a number of, uh, 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 driving and uh, escapades uh, uh, in my past. I've always loved the word that we use in, as it talks about our escapades. Uh, uh, that's such a polite word for what we did. Uh, uh, sort, of, uh, you know, sort of like escapades. And uh, 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 but these escapades and 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 I had totaled these cars. My mother had uh, uh, had had stayed up many a night in my in my college age years when I was living at home and and not coming home or, or, or calling with with a wrecked car or having been arrested for, for DUI and, and 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 done a host of things and certainly after I got sober uh, I made amends for that we sat down and we had that conversation we worked through some of that stuff and and uh, you know like many moms uh, you know she's just glad that I'm just I'm just glad that you're sober I'm glad what you're doing now and and she wasn't even it was years before she could even use the the word alcoholic because if I was alcoholic from her generation if I'm alcoholic she did something wrong you know if I'm alcoholic where did she fail in raising me but 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 she was just glad I was doing better and happier whatever uh, uh, when my daughter my daughter was five when I got sober when my daughter was uh, 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 19 uh, she totaled her car in a, in a drunken accident hit a tree passed out something that I had done myself and I called my mom the, the next day and and said that uh, uh, Abby had been involved in this car wreck, and uh, and my mother was oh is, is she okay and everything all right? And I said oh yeah mom she she's fine. I said but I wanted to call you. I said because I know we've talked about this before and I know that 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 I did those things to you and I I said the difference on this call is now I know how you felt. Now now I have a better a clear understanding of not just what I did, but what it did to you. And there's, Don Pritch used to say that there's a difference there, that there's a, it's presumptuous to think I know, I might know what I did, the action, but to think that I know what it did to somebody else is presumptuous, which is why it's important for me to try to understand and invite you to share with me when I make that amends, uh, uh, the real ramifications of my actions. And so that day I was able to share with, because I knew all those feelings that I had, I was angry at my daughter and I was scared. And there were financial implications. There was a host of things that I had paid no attention to. Uh, and not purposely, it's that I'm so thoughtless, I'm so inconsiderate in a way that I don't recognize the inconsideration that I had not been able to have that conversation with my mother. So that was a different view of that amends. So we're trying to repair the damage. But our book says that, that while at the moment we're trying to, we're trying to uh, uh, set our lives straight, get our lives in order, our real purpose 
is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and those about us. So in the moment that I'm making these amends, in that moment, my, my role is to, try to, is to try to get my life in order. But that is part of a bigger picture. It's part of this larger 12-step approach that over time is freeing me more and more of the bondage of self so I can be freer of me and be of more use to you that I can remove those things that are blocking me off, not only from the sunlight of the Spirit, but if I'm blocked off from the sunlight of the Spirit, I'm blocked off from you. There's no question. There's no question. So, so, there's, a, so there's even a larger purpose, a greater purpose, is for me to be able to be of some use to you. I, I you know, land kind of at the amends, and, and, and our book says, by the way, that I think the 12 and 12 in particular suggest is that there's a... a certain type of amends that we'll start making uh, right away. And, and you know, and, and so, uh, and here's an example, and, and I've got to be careful with this, obviously, and, and, but this is before I had a sponsor, before I had anything. I'm, I'm sitting in, in treatment for two or three weeks, and my wife and daughter came, uh, uh, and, and there's an opportunity. I mean, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is night step stuff, but, 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 but what I'm doing is, is for me to sit there and have a conversation with them. And again, to the best I could, I recognized some of my transgressions and, uh, uh, and talked to them about some things that I now understood in a way that I didn't understand them. And, and over time, I, I would come to understand them more. But, but that is kind of an apology. And I could, you know, I don't think when I got home from treatment, my wife was, you know, that there's some things a guy like me has to own right away. And I can say, oh, honey, look, they tell me I'll be back to see you in a few months or quite soon as I get to that night step thing. And uh, uh, no, there's some things that life puts in front of us in real time that sometimes have to be dealt with. But 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 it's in a it's pr- perhaps in a more general way. Uh, uh, when I try to, to, to look at and, and I go through that that fourth and fifth step and and am examining the relationships of my life, one of of the things that, that I do in that fourth and fifth step is is take a look and see what uh, uh, how has self shown up. I've often referred to that fourth and fifth step as kind of a spiritual autopsy, to where I am I am rather than examining the external damage and, and, and behavior that other people may have done toward me that may have caused resentments or some of the things I've done to other people, but I look and see where did self show up. You know, our book says that being convinced. Uh, that self in its various manifestations is what has defeated us. We looked for its various manifestations. So I looked in my, in my resentments, in my personal relationships. I looked in my fears. I looked in my sexual misconduct to see where self has shown up. To see where self has 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 become a, a problem, and and so though, that's some of the ways that I identify some of the harms. Our book says, "What kind of what do we mean by these harms?" And the 12 and 12 suggest that, that one catalog of harms to take a look for are, are physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. That in my relationships with people, how might I have done damage, not just because I stole, you know, money from you, but, uh, uh, was there, was there an emotional toll taken there? Was there, uh, 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 a mental toll taken there? How do I, how can I list these things and, and take a look for them? So, so that's part of that process. And, uh, uh, 
And, and by the way, it's interesting to me that, that uh, uh, the 12 and 12 likewise talks about the fact that there'll come a time that a guy like me will want to have the deepest possible union with someone, it says, of the opposite sex. I don't think we're, we're quite as committed to that uh, point of view as, uh, as those times called for. But in fact, whether it's in a romantic relationship or not, our book suggests that, we, uh, 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 that, that our relationships with people, I think, should be on these multiple levels, spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional. So the harms I do are likewise seem to be on those levels, and so I can view things from that. And how do I go approach someone and deal with that? Uh, uh, what, what kind of... You know, you know, it says that we're going to also have maybe maybe three or four different types. In the big book, it suggests that uh, uh, that I'm going to have some resentment. It suggests that uh, that many of us owe money. There's an understatement. Uh, uh, it suggests there may be domestic problems, and that these are areas that I can look at. How do I go address these things? And uh, um, so I'll share. Uh, I'll share about a, a, a few, and, and it also then talks about what, what type of attitude do I take to this. If I'm going to go make these amends, what are some guiding principles? And uh, uh, what's, what's a point of view that I want to take? The 12 plus says that good judgment, timing, courage, and prudence are qualities we shall need. Now, what I would say, these are qualities that, and these are qualities I need, and, and, and I'm not a good judge of when I have any of those. That I, I need to go, maybe that's where I want to use benefit of a sponsor and talk to a sponsor and evaluate these things and, and help me understand the timing. The timing is never to protect me. The timing is always to protect the other person. Uh, uh, the good judgment in trying to determine whether except when to do so would harm them or others. Oh, man, there's the great hiding place for many an alcohol, you know. <laughs> Because I've been huddled up with you under that table, you know. Uh, uh, it's, and it feels noble. Uh, uh, and I believe it half the time. I went to my sponsor at, at, uh, uh, at a few months sober. I went on a gambling binge, and gambling was a big issue for me. And I shouldn't say gambling is not the issue, but because I gamble and the way that I gamble, it makes me a liar, a cheat, and a thief. And it made me betray trust and lie to my wife and do and and, and cause us tremendous financial uh, uh, challenges. And and uh, and at six months sober, I had uh, uh, after some other problems there. I'd even signed the pledge. My wife made me sign the pledge, and she was going to leave me if I gambled again. And uh, uh, and I went to Las Vegas on business since before I met Bob, or maybe I would have been saved this problem. But, uh, uh, I went to Las Vegas and, uh, uh, and lost uh, 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 what I call a lot of money. And it will be unimportant to give you a dollar figure because I will share with you what a lot of money is. A lot of money is more than you have. <laughs> wherever that number starts. <laughs> and I lost three or four times more than I have. And, uh, but they're accommodating more so than John at the casino and they gave me a uh, uh, line of credit. Oh my God. But they got, a, you know, their patience is short with that. Then they began to ask me for that money. Now, I've not told my wife. I've, I've, I've finally turned that into a bank loan, uh, not electronic banking at the time. I've got a, uh, um, 
uh, a post office box that I'm having them send the uh, 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 paperwork to. I've moved to Richmond, Virginia. I'm away from this. I went to my sponsor, though, and I said, you know, do I need to tell Connie about it? No, I didn't. Need was not. I said, do I have to tell Connie about this? And, uh, uh, and, and we argued for years. I thought he said no. And uh, 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 what he said was, he said, Steve, I, that's not my call. He said, uh, he, he says, I think that, uh, that, that our guiding principles would suggest you do so. And he said, if you don't deal with this now, you'll have to deal with it later. And I said, thanks, I'll wait. And uh, uh, I, I moved to, you know, I'm, now I'm in Richmond. I wait about a year and a half. I'm loving AA. I'm loving being sober. I'm carrying this secret. Uh, uh, if you're growing in AA, if I'm growing, that little secret, that pebble in my shoe is becoming a boulder. Because that road does get narrower and our awareness grows. And now I'm feeling like a fraud in AA. And, uh, and pretty soon I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be out because I know I'm, you know, I know I'm living fraudulently. And, uh, uh, but I came into some money that I didn't know I was going to have. My wife didn't know I had it. It was going to allow me to pay this thing off. And I went to my sponsor, Joe, and I told Joe, this is, I, I said, look, I'm going to be able to pay this off. I, I told him this story for the first time. I changed sponsors when I moved. Um, I explained to him why, uh, Telling Connie that 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 this fell under the except when to do so would 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 hurt them or others, and uh, uh, I said, look, she's I haven't gambled in a year and a half. I said I'm I'm not going to gamble anymore. Uh, she doesn't deserve to to this will rock the foundation. Uh, 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 she doesn't deserve this, and uh, I got done, and uh, and I had been quite eloquent, I thought, in my presentation, and. And I, I said, Joe, what do you think? And he said, Steve, I think you're a chicken shit. And, uh, uh, he says, but I believe you believe everything you said. Because what he said, he, said, he says, but, and, and, it, and quite seriously, he said, look, I know, I know you don't want to hurt her. I know you don't. And I know you believe that. He says, but, 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 what you, but at the end, after you peel away all of that, you're afraid to stand in front of the consequences of the truth. And in AA, we stand in front of our actions. And he says, if you're asking me if she's going to leave you, if you tell her that, I don't know. He says, but I, but I believe for your sobriety and I believe for, for the man that you're trying to be an alcoholic's anonymous, you, you want to go deal with this. Um, so that's a play. And I did, by the way. And she stayed. It was not terrible. I gambled twice more after that. Uh, but it, it, Joe said, hey, I, I came back. I said, I, don't, I, I didn't lose nearly as much money. I didn't lose all we had, I, just about half of what we had. And I, uh, I said, Joe, I don't have to tell her this. He, he, said, he said, you know, he, he said, Steve, she's going to be impressed it didn't take you a year and a half, you know. And uh, she wasn't as impressed as he thought she might be. But, uh, uh, but at any rate, that's, you know, that is... Uh, um, uh, that's just one example, but the, the, the amends for me have, 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 they remove those things that are in the way of my relationships with people. And it says that, that this, that this ninth step is going to allow me to have the best possible relationship with everyone I know. Now, to clarify, best possible doesn't always mean a wonderful relationship. But best possible means I've done those things. I've, I've moved those things away on my side. Any, anything that, 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 that I'm bringing to the table that's between me and this person. And I'm open to seeing what that relationship will look like free of my stuff. Um, 
You know, my time is, is running short. There's a number of other things that I, that I had hoped to talk about, but they will be more than ably covered by these two. Uh, you know, I feel like, uh, uh, I, I feel like going, you know, and it's probably appropriate that I went first. It's like going to a, a concert, you know, where you've got, uh, 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 Carol King and, and uh, Bruce Springsteen, and I'm kind of the lounge singer, you know, that's out in the, uh, I, I got a tip jar out front somewhere, and uh, 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 that, besides, they love it when I go first because they sound so good after me, but uh, uh, the, the, one of the interesting things that, that, that I came across, uh, uh, it, it, surprisingly enough, in the big book, but uh, it eluded me for a while. Uh, but in a vision for you, you know, it talks about the fact that it is uh, referencing uh, 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 Bill and Dr. Bob's uh, uh, get-together and, and, and the early times of, of their relationship. And, uh, and it talks about Dr. Bob being, uh, uh, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but, but he's, hey, he's sober now for, you know, for a couple of weeks or whatever. Bill's living in, in the home with him. He's uh, He's kind of he's kind of on board with this deal, and uh, uh, but he begins to talk about the fact that they you know in those Oxford group steps they've talked about this restitution, and and Bob is going well what, whoa he said wait a minute he says why should I he says I don't want to ruin what's left of my reputation, uh, I don't want to disadvantage my family uh, by doing that I don't want to bring to ruin uh, and and hurt those people about me, and this is the phrase that struck me. It said, he's, I'll do anything, he said, but that. So he's a guy that's now just like me, an Alcoholics Anonymous, kind of excited and ready to do anything but that. And i got to watch myself on a daily basis. And I, if I'm, I'm willing to do anything but that. Day by day, I can add a new but that in there. And pretty soon I've got a list of things that AA looks really good except that and that. And that, and that, and uh, and so I want to be freer and freer. What that that real surrender in AA that begins to show itself. Where our book says the spiritual life is not a theory; we have to live it. That's in the night step. That's where I'm stepping forward and saying, "Okay, we've been we've been having some really good conversations here in AA, and you've had you've really been doing good, Steve, and you have you that self examination has gone well." Are you not now we're going to get past theory? Now we're going to move into 9, 10, 11, and 12. Take this out into my life. Are you ready? Are you willing to stand honestly in front of who you are and who you've been and share that with another person? Humility is what's talked about in the seventh step in the 12 and 12 at great length. And it requires that humility. That humility isn't this flogging of myself. The book says, that the big book suggests that, that uh, what I want to take into, into this uh, 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 ninth step, it suggests, you know, we hear a lot, the line, I hear a lot, the line that, that talks about we are, uh, uh, we're not doormats. As God's people, we crawl before no one. And that's absolutely true. But much less quoted is the preceding sentence to that, which says we are... We were, we are tactful, humble, kind, and considerate while not being servile and scraping. So I'm not bootlicking when I go out to do this, but I am tactful, humble, kind, and considerate. Is that the attitude that I can bring as I go about this process? 
You know, and I got to remember that as we've all talked about, it's not about the hardest people for me to go to have been those that I felt legitimately have wronged me. But the principle when I'm making that amends is not about that wrong. If you have stolen $5,000 from me and I have stolen $50 from you, I owe you $50. I don't go, you owe me $4,950. I've got to go make right my wrong independent of, of anyone else. And uh, uh, I have found that, that the freedom that has come, and we often talk about the freedom that has come from making amends. I will tell you that right now, I'm living with the discomfort that comes from not making. And, and it's one I've just become aware of. I've got a younger sister who's in a tough spot. And what I realize is I have not been, I have chosen not to be the brother to her that I can be. Not that it would have solved that problem, but she's been someone in my life that it has been easier for me not to have the relationship with than to have it. And so I've not done those things that allowed me to have the best possible relationship with her. And uh, if I'm sitting here, standing here in front of you having this conversation and that shows up, uh, then it's a call to action. Give me a little time. But I invite you to ask me down the road if I took any action based on that. Thanks for having me here this morning. I'm the rose between two thorns. My name is Sharon I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and uh, I, I like Steve laying it all out there because uh, we will ask him. You know, um, and that's the beautiful part about Alcoholics Anonymous is that I have accountability. <laughs> Thank goodness for accountability. Um, it's one of my favorite steps because it's made such a difference, not in my life, but in so many people around me, their lives. And, um, and Bob will talk about it, too, a lot, that, you know, my job is to be of service today. And it's, you know, you got the good, you already did it twice, page 77, which is my favorite quote, but our real purpose, which I love because there it is. I, I'm a child of the 60s uh, when I was drinking and um, looking for truth, and um, <laughs> I found it a lot, but it would melt before I could write it down, so um, <laughs> there it is in the book when I'm reading it, and I don't know, I must have been, I was sober quite a few years before I went, wow, there's a real purpose. I've been looking for my real purpose since I was a little girl sitting in the cornfield looking for the mothership to come back and get me because I was in Iowa. So there it is. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves, which is a lot of work. I had to get up early to fit myself this morning. To be of maximum service, not minimum, maximum. Go any lengths, be inconvenienced to God, first of all. Yeah. And the people about us. And it doesn't say just the people in AA, because I used to think I only had to be nice and, you know, helpful to my family and people in AA, and the rest of them screw them. You know, I mean, that was kind of my attitude. They've got their own stuff going on. You know, I'm working as hard as I can here. And and then I, you know, I used to hear Chuck C. talk about it rains on the just and the unjust. And... Um, what does he mean by that? And then I got it. Everybody gets. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets the sunshine. Everybody gets the rain. What they do with it is up to them. But I am to treat everybody like they're God's kids. So, 
amends. Um, <laughs> I've made a lot. I've had to make a lot of amends in sobriety too. And my tip to you is to eat crow when it's warm. <laughs> it tastes a lot better to just get the amends done. Don't let it, you know, sit in the closet and ferment because it gets bigger and it wakes you up. And my second sponsor, Ginny, used to say, "Look at the first thoughts of your day." And, you know, until something's done about that fermenting in the closet of some amends I have to make from, you know, my gossip or uh, what I, you know, what I did and, and how I acted at work or any of that, you know, there's appropriate amends to make. And so it would ferment and ferment and ferment and wake me up. And, you know, if you're trying to, to work a spiritual program, the, the, the path does get narrower. And so I just can't get away with as much as I used to. <laughs> I used to be able to get away with a lot. But as you wake up in, in life and in uh, sobriety and, and you try to keep that house clean inside so that I get to be of service, which is what I love, because once I've been awakened, that's where I want to live. Even though it's painful many times, it's hard, it's very humbling, um, that's where I want to live. And um, one of my uh, good friends actually sponsored my first ex-husband, um, a guy named Don wrote in one of my books, uh, one of my big books once he wrote, humility is what is left when the pain has been removed from humiliation. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that was some, uh, some ten, when I was 10 years sober, I had to go through um, a messy divorce. And eventually I had to make some amends for my behavior in that, even though I was betrayed. I hung under that one for a while, believe me. So, um, I, what I, I really, you know, Men's 101 was kind of what I did after my first fifth step with my first sponsor. It was kind of, you know, beginning amends. It was the list was made, the recipe cards were done. Um, she just went through and crossed people off. It's like, what? What? You know, it's like, you know, that old boyfriend from the carnival I lived with for three years that, you know, we had black eye knife fights, but it was passion, you know. Um, <laughs> He was on that list. I thought I needed to find him and make amends to him. Um, she took some people off the list, and she added some people I had forgotten. You know, So don't burn your inventory until you can go through it again and pick out some of those events and people. Um, and then once it's all done, if you want to burn it, fine. But uh, yeah, people would say, yeah, I took my fifth step and burned it. And it was like, oh, you know, I mean, that was what my sponsor said. We're not burning that until you, we go through it again with a fine-tooth comb. She was mean. But, um, <laughs> you know, it talks about faith without works is dead. And here we go. Here's the works. Here's the, you know, here's the big girl panties. Here we go. Um, so she's, you know, I had to go home. That was the first big one. My dad, my family was the big one. And I have something that just happened with my sister, my older sister, who um, sent me plane tickets, bailed me out, let me live with her, stayed on her couch, um, gave me my first marijuana cigarette. Uh, <laughs> you know, my sister's been in my life for, uh, well, my whole life. It saved me from a fire when I was a little girl. I mean, how do you compete with that? So... <laughs> You know, this older sister just, uh, you know, my family was, it was, it was very cursory in the beginning. You know, I went home and, and the, the truly, when I saw what was going on, um, I didn't really, I was so numb in my first few, six, seven months. I was not even feeling anything. And then, 
you know how you start one day, you just kind of break open and you just can't stop crying? You know, people are laughing and I'm crying. And it was like, oh my God, it's just, it was so embarrassing. But it was finally, I kind of broke through that barrier I had. And, um, and when I started to, to, finally, finally write that inventory and finally trust that sponsor. It was a whole process. It was so hard. It was the hardest thing I ever did to get to that point. And then when we went through my list and it was, it was go home, go to Iowa, go home. You know, my dad and I hadn't spoken. Maybe the phone was passed to him occasionally for a Merry Christmas from my mom. I, we hadn't spoken in years. There was no eye to eye. There was no... I broke my dad's heart. I was a little girl that used to go to confession, right? And I lied in confession right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. You know, um, you kind of slide in there that you, you know, you slept with your best friend's boyfriend between I yelled at my mom and I stole some money from my dad. You kind of slide it in there thinking that the priest won't hear you. And most of the time he was sleeping. So I kind of like, I learned to lie in confession. So I was right from the beginning. I wasn't. I was dishonest, and alcohol allowed me to not care. Alcohol, when well, I go to India, drink a bottle of Canadian Club, you know, I'm, I'm, I found my real purpose. Um, Canadian Club drinker, yes. Um, so I had to go home, and with my father it was, um, I was really afraid. <laughs> I was really afraid, and um, I had a lot of people telling me, you know, how I was supposed to do it, but I had my sponsor. We wrote something out because I didn't want to get off track. And my dad's a very proud, self-made man. And and so we wrote something out, and I kind of committed it to memory. But I was home for 10 days, and I hadn't done it yet. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, we're leaving today. I'm leaving. Here we go, taking me to the airport. And there was a moment when it was just him and him and me out by the car. He was putting my bags in the trunk, and it was just him and me. And what hit me was, it's not that I'm wonderful and I want to get better and I want to make amends because they're not about me. It's for their freedom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I thought that sponsor will kill me if I get off the plane. I haven't done these. <laughs> so that's the kind of, of uh, the actions were correct, but my motives weren't there. <laughs> my motives were you know, I don't want to. I don't want her to put me back on a plane because she will. So what I said to my dad as we were standing by the car, and it's one of those moments. It's very tactile for me. I remember the heat of the car in my back. I remember the Indian summer sky. It was September. I remember being standing, um, you know, in the sand. The car was parked on the driveway. Had sand there. I remember looking down, and we were both making holes in the sand with our feet. As I was talking to my father, nobody was looking. And I just said to him what I had to say, which was pretty much short, and it was, you know, I just, it was short and to the point, and nobody, um, the earth didn't shake, and, and the world didn't end, and the lightning didn't strike, and he didn't turn around and go, oh, I'm so glad, you know, and hug me and say, you're my favorite daughter, you know. None of that happened. What he said was, I always wanted you to be happy. And I got in the car and went back to L.A. And my sponsor said, how did it go? And I told her. And she said, good. It's a good start. Good start. So my mom and I were fine. My, my, my older sister and I, um, I had made those amends to the rest of my family. And 
with my brother and my two sisters, and it all seemed to go well. My mom and I have always been extremely intuitive, and and uh, I love Steve's story about his daughter and his mom because, boy, we have no idea how it feels. We have no idea how they feel. And I know, I, I mean, there were, there were days she didn't know where I was. There were days, a couple of days she didn't sleep because I was in a hospital somewhere and she didn't know where. Um, and I'm a mom today, and I can't even imagine what she had to go through. But my mom and I have always been very tight, and we still are very, very tight. And um, so with my dad, it was a good start. It was a good start. And um, I had a whole list of people. I had, I, you know, people I owed money to kept calling me, like the, bar, the people from the bars found out I was at a certain place with a certain phone number, and I had to pay them back. Come on, you know, I want my $40 because I borrowed, you know, I want my bar tab. I want... So those I had to go do as soon as I got my little waitress job and started to earn my own money after about three months of sobriety. I had to go take care of those because they wouldn't stop calling me. So, you know, they got their $50, their $40, and that kind of thing. And a lot of other men's had to wait on the list, like the carnival. <laughs> the carnival. You know, I don't know where I was. I don't know who I was with. And In fact, I recently had to do something for Social Security, and my, I have a couple of aliases on there. I guess I had, I don't remember marrying that guy. I really don't. It, it shocked me, and I actually called them this week, and I said, can you tell me if that was from 1971, 1972? And, and they said, oh, we don't go back that far. You're going to have to write about that. And I thought, I'm going to leave that one alone. I don't even... <laughs> It's, it's the guy, the three-year relationship guy. It's that guy, and it was his last name, and it's like, whoa, I don't know what happened. Um, but the carnival, you know? I mean, I'm not out there thinking I'm going to have to make amends for this one day. I'm not that. That's, she said there will be a way. It's on my list. It's in my cards. I, you know, I don't know. And there was a way, because eventually my son ended up at a, at a Catholic school, um, because he got kicked out of kindergarten um, at the other school. And so I took him over to a Catholic school. I sponsored the nun who was the principal. I know. And, um, and they guess what they have every spring to earn money for all that extra stuff that, you know, soccer and, and, and band and all that extra stuff is a school carnival. So they said, do any volunteers? And, you know, Sister Sheila looks right at me because she knows my story. And I was like, okay. You know, I volunteered. I volunteered from kindergarten through eighth grade. I volunteered. I, 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 I stole from little children. I stole from your kids, your 12, 13, 14-year-olds. I had a shooting gallery because, you know, and then they would win, and I would tell them they didn't win. You know, so basically I was kind of a jerk, and I didn't want to give them my teddy bears. So I would drink my tequila and be mean and not give them their teddy bears. And um, so I was out there buying ride tickets for the kids. I raised money for the school. I went around, and I, I was the top fundraiser for eight years. <laughs> I had people ready for me every spring. Who do I make it out to this check? You know, I, I did a good job for that school, for those kids in that school. It was the best I could do, but it was a beautiful way the universe said, I thought my son getting out of the school, kicking out of the school was the end of the world, and it was a way for me to make amends, and he liked the school. So you never know if you're willing. It talks about willingness all over here, and, 
And, and you know, I, one of my, the design for living, and it says, you know, we're also, Steve talked about it, our manner is calm, frank, open. And, you know, my motives have gotten better over time. And I found this this morning. I always carry my husband's little S, Bill sees it, and I was reading, and it said, you know, it, it talks about, uh, this is what he talked about in amends in a letter. A clear light seems to fall upon us when we open our eyes. Since our blindness is caused by our own defects, we must first deeply realize that what they are. Constructive meditation is the first requirement for each new step in our spiritual growth. And constructive meditation to me brings up things that I have to deal with that are in my way. Um, the clear path has been blocked. And the, the good news is after you're sober a while, you find a clear path, and then you start stumbling over things. And my morning meditation is about clearing that path. And what am I stumbling over? And one of the things recently I was talking about my sister was um, my brother said something about, you know, you know, Sharon, have you, know, have you ever heard her talk in A? Because my brother's come a few times. Um, and she said to him, um, I don't have to hear her talk. I lived it. You know, I just thought, he told me that comment, and I thought, wow. <laughs> you know, I paid her back for the airline tickets. Um, I made amends to her. She's one of those brilliant people that's kind of the top of the uh, IQ status and is you know, just very effective with working and making money and retiring early and, and uh, very smart. And, you know, it's just like, God, I used to sit around with her and, Instead of asking her questions, I go, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, I've read that. You know, lie, I could have learned so much. Um, and um, so I thought, what does that mean? So I thought, I better, I better wait, you know, wait what this is about. So I prayed about it, and I thought, you know, there were some reasons. I thought maybe I hadn't spoken to her about some things I hadn't talked to her about. So I asked God on one, her visit recently to my house. She came to see me. Um, and I said, if there's time... I asked God to give, you know, that was my morning meditation to give me the time with her alone um, and in, in a spirit where she would be uh, willing to listen because she's sometimes just, oh, never mind, or she's just very matter-of-fact. She's not a very emotional person. Um, so there was a, they dropped us off, and they had to go find a parking spot, the people in the car, and it was her and me sitting at the restaurant, and I just leaned over and grabbed her hand. My big sister, who I've had these, like, you know, a whole list about why I am the way I am because of her. Um, and um, the sweetness was there and the softness was there. And I was able to talk to her about it. And she told me some things. And um, it was very matter-of-fact, the ending, you know. And it was good they came in right at that right time because she doesn't get very emotional. Um, and good thing I wasn't sobbing when they came to the table. Um <laughs> Because I try to be, um, I try to go to, to them in a way that my sister would hear me. Because if I go to her with all the tears and all, you know, it's just like, oh, come on, you know? She wouldn't have. And I was able to, to be clear and to be honest and to be factual with her. And so nothing really came of that. But I just went home a couple weeks ago for my mother's 95th birthday. And my sister was there, and at the end of our visit, 
Everybody said, everybody that knows our relationship, the other family members said, wow, this was like the best visit you and your sister ever had. There was no tension. There was, it was just, every, you know, people remarked in the way that they saw it, personally, one-on-one. And it was like, okay, she's got some freedom with me now. Not about me. It's about her. And I'm just very... Very, very blessed that that in my morning meditation it kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up. And, um, you know, these amends aren't for me anymore because that's my motives. Um, We're to, let's clean off the street. I don't want to look over my shoulder anymore. I'm tired of these calls. I live down south. My name was Cher, S-H-A-R-E. So anytime anybody called on the phone and said, hey, Cher, I was like, oh, my God, who's that? You know, what do they want? Somebody from my past. Um, and uh, so they were so I could do that. And with my dad, I had, um, I owed him a lot of money. So the second sponsor of mine had me uh, call him and ask him because I got a better job and I was making more money, and I got this new sponsor, and we did another inventory at five, six years of sobriety, Katie. And i um, not calling you out, but I love you. And um, um, she had me go and, and call my dad and ask him if I can pay him back the money I owed him. I was like, oh. you know, I go home once a year. Maybe they come out to California once in a while because my dad didn't like L.A. much. And... Um, so I called him, and, and most alcoholics owe money. Steve talked about that on page 78 where it says most alcoholics owe money. And my father had run a calculator tape because he read the big book and put it in there. <laughs> so he was ready for me when I called. <laughs> and I called my sponsor back, and I said, oh, my God, he gave me an amount, and it's too much, it's too high. And, you know, I'm crying, and, like, just like, oh, why? Why is he, you know, he was ready for me, and that was really scary. <laughs> And he had told my mother, and I didn't know this, if Sharon stays sober long enough and gets to this part of the book, and if I'm not home, give her this bottom line right here. (laughs) He's a businessman. So I had to kind of suck it up. My sponsor had me suck it up, and my sponsor had me call him back in two days. And I thought, two days. He'll forget that I didn't go to Europe like the rest of the children. That he didn't finish paying for my college education, because I ran away, of course. Um that he didn't buy me a car. He bought everybody else a car, because I took one. (laughs) But I'm thinking he might just kind of get a little soft in two days and amend that bottom line. No, he didn't. Wrong. So my sponsor said then, you know what? Call him back in those two days. I called him back. He didn't amend it. He took my payment terms. He accepted them, what I could pay. And my sponsor said, good, then let's get going. And, you know, when you're going to, this is, this is the difference that that beautiful woman made in my life. Because she could see it, that it was going to make a huge difference in how I stood up in the world. Steve talked about that, too. We get to look the world in the eye. And I think it's about paying my dad back that money so that we can look at each other in the eye. And, and that's true. It happened. It happened. Because my dad called me after five years and said, I had sent a note with those checks because my sponsor insisted on my not just sending the check alone in the mail. And so I'd send a note every time or a card or something, every time we got the check on time, consistently, consistently for almost five years. Just that alone said something to my dad. 
just that alone, that he could count on that check coming in the mail about the second or third of every month, the second or third of every month. But he said, Merry Christmas, he called me after Christmas. He said, I don't want your money anymore, but don't stop sending me your notes. And little did I know the sponsor had the vision because they, my amends um, have been so powerful in my life with changing um, how their lives get to be how their lives get to be. Um, Like I said, it was just all about me and not looking over my shoulder in the beginning or worrying about people finding me from my past. And this was for my dad. This was for my dad to go. Just by that comment, there was a lot of forgiveness in there. And I got to work. What the end result was looking the world in the eye was I got to stand up straight and tall around men It made a difference with me and men. Because somewhere in there, I was daddy's little girl again. Somewhere in there, it was all healed up. Somewhere in there, I wasn't, I didn't have that broken part that wasn't good enough to stand up with these Harvard people I work with, these Harvard men that I work with, these brilliant men, that there was something a little, it was like, you know, daddy's girl, come on, bring it on, you know? There was just something inside of me that got taller, that got bigger, that had more light, more love. Not that broken piece of me anymore that was looking for something to make it better. Um, So that was an end result I didn't really expect was going to happen. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. And there were um, times going back to New Orleans. I went back in 1980 to the International Convention. I've been to eight. Thank you, Atlanta. The eighth one, it was fun, a lot of fun. Um, And that was my first one in 1980, going back to New Orleans to make amends to a town and a place that I had... I'm a blackout drinker. I have no idea some of the uh, people I've hurt. Um, Every single day of my life, I get to have my real purpose to make my amends to the world, um, to be kind to people I don't know, to keep my mouth shut when I I think I have something to say. Uh, If it's not a spiritual act, I don't know what a spiritual action is, but I know what a spiritual action isn't. So much of the time, I know what it isn't, so I just keep it inside myself until I can figure out what action to take that won't be harmful, hurtful, or have me in the motives. Because my life has become very much about you. My life has become very much about all that. And when I did go back to New Orleans, there were a lot of amends that were scary to make, but we were all in town. (laughs) All of us alcoholics were in town. My sponsor was in town. People were in town. I felt very safe, and there were some really amazing events that happened there, and one of them was two girls that I drank with um, are sober today. And we just had a little reunion at the Hyatt over the 4th of July weekend. And um, Robin lives in Jersey City, and she's... She was drunk on my bed at the uh, International Convention in 1980 and at the Hyatt Hotel in New Orleans, and I wish I had a picture of her falling out of her outfit in, uh, with the big book passed out. She's sober 31, 32 years. And Danny, my other buddy who didn't recognize me, standing in front of her trying to make amends to her because 
a friend of ours was killed outside her door on Mardi Gras Day. It's a whole big story. And being in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've gotten to make amends for that, too. And I was in a brownout and a blackout, and uh, it was her place. And she looked at me, and she didn't recognize me. Just how you cleaned me up showing up in that convention and walking the streets of the French Quarter was, was, I was an example of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I am, whether you're watching or not, I am. I like to put my head on the pillow at night. I like to listen to my first thoughts of the day. Um, Amends have been powerful in my life. My dad got to be my dad when I went through a very messy divorce and my car died. And I'm going to end with this little story. Because, um, because of the amends that had been made, I was 10 years sober. My car died. I called him every Sunday night. I had his little grandson in the car, and we laughed about it that I was okay. And um, two days later, my dad called me, and he said, I was at the bank, and the banker has a couple of extra cars, and your mom and I are going to drive one out to you. Now, if I wouldn't have made those amends and my mother would have said, her daughter's in trouble, she's trying hard, and we want to take care of our grandson and make sure she's got a good car for those freeways, he would have maybe said something like, you know, it just doesn't feel right because she's just not made that okay. But he, was, he had the freedom to be my dad. That's what we give them. We give them the freedom to be who they are. And because of that, there's a lot of God in those relationships I have today. So don't overlook this step, and it continues. Keep your ears open and your eyes open, because the amends can continue. Like, we're all going to ask Steve about it in about a week. We're going to call him. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I'm Bob I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, both of you. Great, great stuff. Now I have no idea what I'm going to say. They said all my best stuff. Um, John, you made Bill Wilson proud. He took step. He took tradition nine of not being organized to a new level. Yeah. Uh, nothing. Uh, frightened me more in Alcoholics Anonymous when I was new and in, even the years I was in and out as I'd, people had mentioned amends and I, I just I, I'd want to quit it's too big it's just too much I, I never will pay the money back I can't it's, I won't live long enough uh, I, and I hurt people that they're not even going to talk to me I had some amends that I just I was absolutely convinced I would not get five words out of my mouth before they'd take a weapon at me, you know, a baseball bat. I just, so it was too much. And so I kept sweeping under the rug and I, and I kept relapsing consequently. Uh, one of the things that, one of the points in the big book that it talks about guys like me drinking again is in the immense. And it says that we must lose our fear of our creditors. And that's not just money. That's anybody I ain't right with. I must lose my fear of creditors no matter how far I have to go because I'm liable to drink if I'm afraid to face them. And and I was afraid to face them. And what happened uh, to me is I, I got to that point 
coming off my last drunk where it didn't matter anymore. I mean, I tried to kill myself, and the only thing that stopped me, and I would have been glad to have done it, the only thing that stopped me is, is fear. And I knew that if I go out again, maybe the next time my desperation and pain of being me and the anguish of being me would be greater than my fear of the pain of dying. And I know the next time, done. So I don't have much options here. It didn't even matter, really. And so I get sober and I get a sponsor. And uh, sponsors, if you're new and you don't want to, Change. Don't get a sponsor because, or a home group because they start butting into your business. I mean, it's like bad. I mean, just asking these questions that are very personal. I mean, uh, <clears throat> and uh, they found out. I broke down and told him about. Um, I had two years in prison uh, coming at me. And I was scared. I had to talk about it. I couldn't hold it in. I was. It just was terrifying me. And he. Uh, instructed me to face it and offer to go do the two years, which I thought was the worst. I thought, man, how come I get a bad sponsor? I, I heard stories in AA about get people getting advice that made them millionaires and stuff. I get advice that's going to send me to prison, for God's sakes. Um, but I followed his direction exactly. And to my amazement, when I talked to my P.O., and followed up as he instructed me to do that I didn't have to do the time. And I had some things I had to do, but I didn't have to go back to Pennsylvania and go to prison. And, and you know something? This was, a, this was a pivotal, defining point in my life. And all, of all the, over the years, all the guys I sponsor who have done very well here and are deep into sobriety had a point where, as the book says, it calls it the turning point where your back's up against the wall and you have to show up and act like like God's got you or not. Uh, you're, you're being crushed and you are had to fearlessly face the proposition that God's either everything or he isn't. And uh, that, that was what happened with that. And I had no idea that in... Over the years, in making amends, was going to change my relationship with God, change my relationship with the people in the world, and really, in a way that that all the therapists couldn't do, change my relationship with me. And it changed the way I felt about myself, gradually and incrementally. It was it's an amazing process, but I didn't know that when I was new. All I knew was I was scared. Uh, one of the earlier amends I, I was asked to make was to my parents, and uh, I had to explain, you have to explain things to old-timers, because they don't really get it. I mean, that, that I couldn't make amends to my parents, that I had, it was too late, it was a couple years too late, I had done so much damage that there's just a wall there, and I said, listen, and they said, you need to call, call. I said, you don't understand, they, they won't take my calls, and what he said what they said next was so amazing he said don't call collect <laughs> wow i mean that was like wow really i i mean i i i'm embarrassed to tell you i would have never thought of that i i that is that's a that sh- that's a shines a laser like light on my own self entitlement and in selfishness but i wouldn't have thought of that and I, I, so I did, and I, I can remember 
First time I called, my mother answers the phone. And uh, the minute she heard my voice, oh, she got angst up. What do you want? And then she got nervous. She said, oh, my God, you're not back in Pennsylvania again, are you? I said, no, Mom, I'm in, I'm in Las Vegas. And she said, well, the operator didn't ask me to pay for the call. I said, no, Mom, I paid for the call. She went, you paid for the call? She couldn't believe it. It was so out of character. Because uh, I'd always, you know, call collect, right? And it was not a homecoming. She got, had to get off that phone. She did not want to talk to me. And I was discouraged. And Man, I, don't you realize I'm sober? No. Uh, the book talks about a 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. There, for, for my parents to have easily trusted me again, there would have had to have been something very seriously wrong with their mental health. Uh, because I broke their heart over and over and over and over again. I did so much damage to them. I, I'd stolen so many things from my father and mom and my mother that my dad became friends with the guy who owned the pawn shop in Reading from buying his own stuff back, and then the guy cut me off. Uh, I, one of the worst things I did to my mom and dad, because and they loved me, and they were good people, is that I kept getting back up on my feet again, and I'd get their hopes up. And You know, six weeks later, three months later, I'm, I've stolen something from them, I've disappointed them, I've lied to them, I'm on another run, and... You know, I did that to them over and over. And I can't, you know, it's funny. There's a thing where you don't understand your parents until you become one, right? And if, if my daughter would have been like with me, like I was with them, I don't think I could have handled it. It would have killed me. And I just about killed them. I, 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 I hurt them so badly that <clears throat> this, is, this is a man and woman who were very altruistic, uh, very uh, involved in the community, they were my. They were both involved in charitable organizations, and they had clubs in the country club, and the my my the Lions Club, my Women's Club, and they did fundraising. They did all that stuff. Very social, very connected in the community. The last several years, uh, they didn't even go out of the house because they were just worn out. They couldn't face the questions that people would ask them about me. Right, because you know I'm in the newspapers. You know I'm. They couldn't even face it, and so they became recluses in their own house as a result of my sickness, and it was just devastating to them. And uh, I'd cost them a lot of money over the years, and and, and so they AA people said you just got to call every week, and I called in the face of rejection, and not this is they're not warming up to me. And I, they told me I had to send them uh, cards and I had to get little gifts like Christmas, birthdays, anniversary, Mother's Day, Father's Day. I can't miss it. And, you know, I'm early in sobriety. I'm, I'm making bare, like minimum wage. And so to, I can't do very well. I remember the first Christmas, you know, you guys made me buy them something. It was pathetic. I got my mom some little nothing, and I got my dad a necktie. It was like $8.95, a necktie. If I had gotten my dad a beach house and a Bentley, I wouldn't even scratch the surface for how far behind I am with my father, and I'm going to give him this pathetic necktie. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard, but you guys made me do it. He said, he, he said things like, well, it's a thought that counts. No, it's not. It's not. It's, it's, <laughs> 
But I, I did what you said. And the next time I called after they had received those gifts, it was the first time my father ever got on the phone. See, I'd only been talking to my mom. He wouldn't get on the phone. He wouldn't talk to me. He'd been hurt that much. And he got on the phone, and, and just just for a moment, not for very long, just for a moment, the wall came down, and, and he, 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 could have, he had a hard time talking, thanking me. And then the wall went back up, and he had to get off the phone. But it was just like something, it was like something just happened there. And it was as a result of, of uh, following your directions. I was a year sober about, and a year of fo- weekly phone calls and Mother's Day, Father's Day, all that stuff, Christmas. My parents decided that they wanted to come out to Las Vegas and eyeball me. Not that they thought I'd change. They really came out with a skepticism, like this guy, he's probably conning us, trying to get back in the will or something, you know? I, that's what they came out like that, but, but they figured, well, they'd never been to Las Vegas, so it's not a complete loss if he's still a bum. And they flew out, and, and uh, I met him at the airport. And <clears throat> they were staying at the Stardust Hotel. I took him out to dinner with my sponsor and his wife, uh, Gladian, and we had a good time. And my, my sponsor told me to invite them to my home group, which I, I wouldn't have done. I, I look back, and I, I think it, with my dad, I, I think somewhere I might have unconsciously been embarrassed that I had to go to AA. I mean, that sounds silly today, but I think I, I wanted my dad's approval so much that I wanted him to think that I, I was changing my life or something. and I didn't want him to see the truth that, I'm, that you guys were really doing it, I guess. I don't know. And, but anyway, I, I did what he said, and I invited him. And it was a perfect thing to do because I, he, he, they got to see me with you in my home group. I've never, I'm never, ever better than when I'm with you. Never. I'm at my very best. God, you... God works through you to bring the best of Bob out when I'm with you. And they got to see that and me with the guys that I was trying to sponsor and my sponsor and the old timers and the, and the camaraderie that was a group that met in people's homes. And, and, and some of these people in my first home group were doing very well financially because they'd have a house big enough to put 60 people in their living room. So it's like it was impressive to my parents. And they got to hear the laughter and they got to, they got to, experience some of that and how we goof on each other here and uh, and then they, my, I remember my mom it was me my mom and my dad sitting together and somebody was talking about uh, tearfully talking about how grateful they were because they got their kids back and I remember my mom I could hear her whisper to my dad she, it just, it was, she was choked up she said this is good and uh, and it was perfect. And I, I was instructed to to put a list together of all the money I borrowed from my parents over the years, and it was a lot. And I was supposed to ask them if I missed anything, and then come up with a, a payment plan uh, that I could afford. And, and I did that. And I went to the the coffee shop, the Stardust, right before they left to come back to Pennsylvania, and I presented the plan. It was a twelve and a half years of payments. Now, when you're a year sober, I'm telling you, if you're like me, that's a lifetime. That's a lifetime. It was so overwhelming. I didn't want to do it. 
I, I want to make it right, but I want to hit the lottery and make it right. You know what I mean? Right, right. I, I, see, I have good intentions. I ain't good on the follow-through, but I got good intentions. I'll hit the lottery one day. Or, and, and you guys told me that I it sold my integrity a nickel and a dime at a time, and I'd have to buy it back a nickel and a dime at a time, and I'd make payments. It was a better, they, you thought it was a better way to do it. I wasn't so sure, but I, I presented this thing to my dad and mom, and my dad looked at me and he said, he said, Rob, we don't want you to, to pay back the money. We're so delighted you're sober. And we just want, to, we just want you to keep staying sober, keep doing what, this is the first time he said, I remember he said, this is the first time in years we had any hope that you might be okay. Just keep doing this. And I was delighted. Oh my God, I just got out of 12 and a half years of payments. I've hit the recovery lottery here. I'm on my way to my sponsor's office. I am so excited. This is, I, I'm getting a gift. You know what I'm saying? This is really good. And I, uh, thinking about other people I owed, wonder if I could get them to see the light. And I get in my, walk into my sponsor's office and he's sitting at his desk and I re- never forget this. I said, I was so excited. I just, I, I, I did exactly what you said. My dad said I didn't have to pay him. This is so cool. And my sponsor said, it doesn't matter what your dad said. This is your amends. This is your recovery. This is your integrity. You've got to pay him. Well, some, I get the mean sponsors. You know, I get, I said to him, I said, well, I don't know how to do that. If I send him a little check every, uh, every month, it's, if, if, I don't even think he'll cash, he won't cash it. And he said, so, he said, a way will be shown. And I don't know what that means, but it, it really was true. I think, I think the power behind the curtain here facilitates all right actions here. I think AA has something that goes on here. I noticed it in others and their stories of, of the miracles and the, and the things that would happen to allow them to do the things they couldn't do. Carl Jung referred to this thing as synchronicity. It's a universe that accommodates spiritual growth and and, and uh, that was true for me and what happened is I was working as a cashier in a retail store and my father was uh, obsessed with collecting silver coins and, and silver certificates gold certificates and, and I, I went to my boss and, uh, with the intention of um, trying to buy enough of this stuff out of the register to one day give my dad a, a nice gift and my boss said yeah sure kid you can do that and it, I, I started getting lucky uh, financially. I started getting some raises and bonuses, and I worked another part-time job a couple days a week, uh, moving furniture for a guy in AA, and just various things like that. And, and uh, I, I remember one time a friend of mine in AA who worked at the cage where they have all the money at the horseshoe called me up because she knew I was doing this, and she said, we got a $500 gold certificate in. Do you want, I can only hold it for one day if you want it. And I went and borrowed the money to go buy that for that, for the deal I'm make, putting together for my dad. And I used to get, my boss, we'd get these $100 gold certificates that were still in circulation. And my uh, boss had put them in his safe for sometimes three, four weeks before I had enough money to, to buy them. And I found myself in about a little over, I think a little over, four years with the total amount of debt in uh, coins and bills. I had a shoebox full of silver and gold certificates full and I bags of, of, of silver quarters and with the, the woman who would become the mother of my daughter and I drove back to Pennsylvania and took 
took that stuff and uh, gave it to my dad, and it blew his mind. Blew his mind. Uh, and it was like a shift in the universe. And it was I, now what I'm about to say to you. I'm very suspect of my own perception, but it seemed to me prior to that that my dad had forgiven me. My dad loved me. But there was still a little bit of separation. It felt like he didn't really respect me. Now, I don't know how much of that comes from me and how much of it comes from him. I don't know, objectively. I used to say it, it came from him, that he just didn't respect me at all. But I'm not so sure anymore. Um, but when I gave him that money, there was this big shift. And all of a sudden, my relationship and my position in my relationship towards my father changed. And uh, the, uh, the, from then on, it was sweet. It was sweet. And he died uh, about a year later. And I tell you, I, to this day, I'm so grateful that I had done what you guys had told me and tried to make that right with my dad. And, um, but I, I was sitting, I flew back when he died, and I was sitting in my mother's kitchen with my sisters there. And this thing happened. I was sitting there and I was overwhelmed. I almost started to cry because they're turning to me and for support and strength. And I'm the black sheep of the family. And I thought, oh my God, how's this happened? And right after that, through a bizarre series of circumstances, my mother, uh, somebody offered, she didn't put their house on the market. Somebody came to her and offered to buy it. And she sold it and moved to Las Vegas where I entered, just took her to a few meetings. She loved AA meetings. And she met a guy I got sober with, George, who was her age. And, well, they started living in sin. And, oh, man. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was the absolute best years of my life with my mother. Because she would, George went to, like, one or two meetings a day. And she'd just go with him. So I get to tell my sponsees, you know, my mom goes to more meetings than you. And she's not even an alcoholic. Right? Oh, I... I just love saying that to guys, right? And, and she used to, she used to uh, step up to talk to people's parents that were trying to get sober. You know, she was, she was on the board of the TIE club for a while because you, you didn't have to be an alcoholic to be on the board. And uh, it was the best years of my life with my mom. And uh, when she died, uh, tough, tough thing, I'll tell you. I had to take care of her the last year or so of her life, and she she had lung cancer and emphysema both, and she refused the treatment, and she just wanted to die. And it took a long time. The tenacity of human life sometimes is just amazing. It took a long time. And by the time she died, she was 50 pounds. I mean, it was I to change her diapers and her bedding. I, I used to just I could pick her up. I mean. I mean, just pick her up. I mean, that's how she, much she wasted away. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. And I had been told in this process to keep, to stay awake, um, because something could come up. And it did. I was, I was sitting next to her one day, and all of a sudden, this wave, these thoughts and this wave of emotion just came over me. When I remembered when I was a kid, I was uh, I was very sickly for a period of time. I had I was an asthmatic, and I missed a lot of school, and I was sick a lot. And oddly enough, when I first started 
drinking and smoking pot. I never had asthma since. Now, I'm not saying that's a cure, but that's a true story. <laughs> and, but up until the time I started becoming qualifying for one of us, uh, my mom sat with me a lot and took care of me. And I, and I said, I started this tearfully having a conversation with my mom saying to her, I, I said, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I have a company to run and I have a, a daughter and a wife and I, I, I don't know how. I can't, I can't be there. I wish I could be here as much for you. You were here for me all around the clock. And I'm so sorry. I, I wish I could. Uh, and I, I would go over there every day a couple hours, but it was the best I could do. And she just smiled at me and she said, I'm so proud of you. She said, I'm so glad you have a big life. And I got to bury my mom. You know, I was very lucky. Uh, when I was new, um, there was a man named Dale who passed away with cancer, but he was a good guy. Him and I, he, he, we got kind of close. He was not a guy that was easy to get close to. He was a little gruff. But he, we got close because we both did a lot of H&I, hospital and institution work. And, and, and he said to me one time in his gruff manner, he said, listen, kid. I'm going to tell you some things that are going to save you a lot of grief and a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. He said, I want you to know that if you're explaining something, if you're defending something, if you're justifying something, you're rationalizing something, kid, I want you to know you're wrong. Because you never have to explain, defend, justify, or rationalize what's right. And that has served me not only in my own amends very well, but also sponsoring people. I had a guy a couple years ago who did a fifth step, and he gets he brings me his eight step list, and I'm looking at it, and I said, "Where's the, where's the guy who fronted you all the drugs that you you owe the money to?" He said, "Well, I'm not he's not on my eight step list. He's a drug dealer." Huh? Really? I said, "I think that's a very slippery slope because if you if you can ignore what it says in the book." that we disregard the other person involved entirely, where are we to blame? If you putting out of your minds the wrongs the other person had done, if you disregard that, that's a slippery slope because I think you could probably, you could probably find something wrong with the IRS sort of get you out of those amends, couldn't you? I, I think, and your dad probably wasn't perfect. I don't think you'd have to pay him back. And, you mean if you could find, I think if you can find something wrong with someone and you don't have to pay him, I... God, I don't think I'd have paid anybody. I think you need. I think you need to put that on your eight-step list. He did not like that. I said, for God's sakes, you gave him your word. He gave you stuff, and you gave him your word that you're going to pay him back. And he he did. He put it on there. And, um, and I told him, I said, I don't know that you're actually going to ever have to make the amends, but you've got to at least step up and put it on your eight-step list. And it's up to God whether you have the willingness, and the reason I believe that is because there's a prayer. We don't have the willingness. We ask for it. And we ask. It doesn't say we ask for it once and done. We ask for it. It says until it comes. That means I got to keep this stuff a piece of spiritual business until I make it right. Um, and, that, and that's really true. I, I've had some amends that were very hard to make. Uh, and every time I made one and got through to the other side my trust muscle and trust in God and trusting A became a little stronger. I didn't trust anything when I got here. 
I've been so self-reliant uh, for so long. And I think it's in the amends that we really come to trust God. As I walk through things that just scare the crap out of me. And I come out the other side and I'm okay. And I'm alright. And every time I do that, it just strengthens the trust in God muscle a little bit more. A little bit more. Because I know something, I know faith is not enough for me. If you ever read William James or if you're just in your own experience in Alcoholics Anonymous, there's probably people in here that had tremendous faith in God, active in their church and then drank again. Faith isn't enough. I have to take it to a new level. I have to show up as if I really mean it all. I have to actually walk through life as if I really trust God by by my actions. And actions is all I have here. Um, So Alcoholics Anonymous has, has changed me. The actions have changed me. I don't feel about myself the way I used to. I was a depressive that was trying to commit suicide. I don't feel about you the way I used to because this was a hostile world full of just horrible people. And I don't see that when I look out at the world anymore. I see a lot of people that are pretty much like me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.